Welcome to another episode of the Father Ted Talk, broadcast here at the National Shrine of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton in Emmitsburg, Maryland. Our Christmas living history tours are just a few weeks away. Step back in time to the Christmas season in the 1800s and discover Elizabeth Ann Seton's inspirational story from those who knew her best. Led by candlelight, these guided tours will lead you into the two historic homes of Mother Seton, which are decorated for the Christmas season. Candlelight tours of Christmas past will engage all of your senses, immerse you in historical traditions of Mother Seton's time, and offer hands-on activities for people of all ages. Reserve your tickets today at setonshrine.org. Now here's Father Ted. Our readings today, they tell us that in order for us to be a saint, there has to be some kind of a persecution. So in the first reading, everybody that was in heaven according to John's revelation, had these whitewashed robes that had been cleansed in the blood of the Lamb. They had gone through the period of great trial. In the Gospel today, the Beatitudes, it is said that those people who suffer insult and persecution will be great in heaven. The reward will be great in heaven. Now, this is the case if we respond correctly to persecution. If we respond Patiently in the face of oppression, we will be blessed. But there are some people who will crack, who will lose their faith when the going gets tough. And so we have to do everything possible while on this earth to reduce persecution and certainly never do anything to contribute to it. Now, on this day, we're celebrating all the saints. We're celebrating every last one of them. And so it might be worth asking, what is a saint? And there's a story, there's an an allegory from an Eastern poet that I think can illuminate this. So there was this, in this allegory, there's a soul who dies and he goes up to heaven and he knocks on the door of heaven and from inside the gate comes this voice asking, who is it? And the soul, you know, full of anticipation and excitement, he says, it's me. And then from inside the gate comes the response. There's no room for you and me here. And the soul knocks again, but there's no response. And so he comes back down to earth, and he comes back to life. He lives another year. He spends that year in prayer, fasting, doing good. And then he passes away again. He dies again, and he goes, the soul goes back up to heaven, reaches the gate. He knocks on the gate again. And then from inside the gate comes the question, who is it? And the soul answers, it's you. And then the gate opens, and the person walks into heaven. Now what does that mean? What is the significance of this allegory? It means that in order to become a saint, in order to get into heaven, we must be like Christ. We have to be imitators of his. We must be molded in his likeness. Or like St. Paul told the Galatians, we have to be able to say, it is not I who lives, but it is Christ who lives in me. Now, how do we do this? How do we behave like Jesus Christ? Well, like St. John of the Cross said, we have to know him. We have to know who Jesus Christ is. So we open up our Bibles and we look at the Gospels and we get a pretty good idea of who Jesus Christ is. 
We know stuff that he said. We know stuff that he did. We know where he comes from. We know who he is. He's God. He's man. He's our Savior. But there's also a lot left to be desired in the Gospel account. There's many unanswered questions we can say. There's much about him that is, we, we just don't know from these simple narratives in the Gospel. And that is one of the reasons for which he gave us the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes fill in the gaps of what we do not know about Christ. The Beatitudes, said St. John Paul II, are a portrait, a self-portrait of Christ himself. They're the window that allows us to see within the very soul of the God-man, Jesus Christ. And so, if the Beatitudes show us Christ, and to be like Christ is to be a saint, if you're a saint, it means you're like Christ. If we look at the Beatitudes, we can see who Jesus is, and we can also see what all the saints are like. Because each of the saints lived out these Beatitudes that we heard in today's Gospel. Saints are poor in spirit. They're not stuck to the things of the world. They're not excessively concerned with it. They're not giving in to the consumeristic mentality of more is better, or the new is needed. They're poor in spirit. They mourn, not in the sense that they're always moping and just traumatized by the very existence, but they mourn insofar as they weep for their sins. They have contrition. They regret the times they offended he who loves them so much. They're meek. Saints are meek. That does not mean spineless. That does not mean cowardly. That does not mean always passive and just letting people walk all over you. It's not just an easygoing temperament. Meek is the capacity to control oneself. It is the possession of ourselves. It is the dominion which allows us to direct our emotions in keeping with what we know to be right. Instead of being pulled around by our emotions, we direct them. And we fight. The meek person fights. Not because he is offended or he is, his honor is somehow insulted. But he fights to defend the principles he believes in. He's like a mother bear who's normally passive. But when her cubs are threatened, it can be very dangerous. The saints are also people that long with all their being for justice. Justice in two sense, in two different ways. Justice in the sense of they want everybody to get what they deserve. They want everybody to receive a due share. They want there to be this equal distribution of goods so that everybody has some, some piece of it. Social justice. But they also thirst for holiness. Why is there so little social justice? Because good people do nothing. Why is there so little holiness? Because we do not thirst for it. Because we do not long for it with all of our being. The saints are those who did. Who pursued holiness with all their hearts, minds, and souls. And because of that, they brought about social justice. The saints are merciful. There was one time a... Um, penitent leading, leaving um, the confessional of St. John Marie Vianney. And as he left, he said to the cure of ours, you must be a really holy person because you're so merciful. You're so kind. And St. John Marie Vianney said, if I'm very merciful, 
it's because I'm a great sinner. St. Francis de Sales said that saints are easy to live with because they're easy on others and strict on themselves. They see that they themselves are sinners. They see how much they've been forgiven. And who are they to not give that same kind of forgiveness to the people that offend them? Saints are merciful. They have pure hearts. Now, on the one more, more literal level, that means that you can't get to heaven unless you repent of and confess any sexual sins you fell into. But on a deeper, more spiritual level, it means that the heart of a saint isn't contaminated by those impure, or rather those, any kind of love other than God. And in God, they love all other persons. So it's not the love of God for the, at the exclusion of other people. It is the love of God, and within God, they love all those who are within Him. The saints are peacemakers. A peacemaker is somebody who who brings two warring parties together. You've got animosity, people are butting heads. The peacemaker reconciles them. And most importantly, the saints are the peacemakers between human beings and God Almighty. They bring us here on earth closer to the heavenly realm. They reconcile God and man. This is an idea of what the saints are. The last two Beatitudes are rather unique. These last two Beatitudes about blessed are those who are hated and persecuted for my sake. Blessed are you when you are reviled on my account. They're kind of unique because we don't decide when that happens. Like all the other Beatitudes, you kind of get to decide when that, when that takes place, you know. Okay, I'm going to be poor in spirit. I'm going to be pure of heart. I'm going to be meek right now. I'm going to, with God's grace, I'm going to mourn over my sins. But these last two Beatitudes, they're not up to us. It's as if, you know, we don't need to worry about them. Like, you're going to get persecuted, so just, just hold tight. It'll come. Don't worry. We don't need to go looking for it. Living like a saint is inevitably, inevitably going to bring down the hatred of the world. Because the faithful disciple is a painful reminder to others that they are not following the ways of God. And also, the, the faithful disciple is an obstacle to the sinful person's way of life. So there's a few generic reasons for which persecution will always come to the holy ones. But in our days, the persecution is gradually increasing in intensity. Like the apostles who were flogged by the Sanhedrin because they preached the name of Christ, there seems to be this general movement in society to criminalize Christian activity. For example, I mean, we've all heard stories about people getting in trouble for mentioning the name of God in graduation speeches. Or religious symbols cannot be displayed on public ground. Priests in Canada and Europe have been arrested and been charged with hate crimes because they preached about the church's teachings regarding same-sex attraction. And in that same vein, my sister just told me yesterday that her company put up some videos about um, gender dysphoria, and there was, a, there was a doctor, an MD, there talking 
And YouTube took it down because it had hate speech in it. It was an MD doctor. It was not grounded on any, it was not a religious video. It was talking about the incongruencies when diagnosing gender dysphoria as opposed to diagnosing other psychological disorders. That was hate speech. It is illegal in 20 states in the United States of America for therapists to help people with same-sex attraction. That is to say, if you experience same-sex attraction and you want to go to therapy for that, you're not allowed to. That's illegal. There are some jurisdictions in our country that have tried to compel Catholic hospitals to either recommend people for abortion or to provide the morning-after pill. Abortifacients. So, there is clearly, and this is just you know, the tip of the iceberg. Many other personal, more uh, private stories could be told. But there's this general movement to criminalize Christian behavior. And on top of this, we have certain political candidates who are promoting legislation that will either encourage persecution or directly assault faithful believers. So, there's one presidential candidate who is advocating for the repeal of the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. This act brings protection to religious conscious rights of healthcare workers who decline to participate in abortion. And it also protects church-based adoption agencies that choose to place children only in married heterosexual couples, among other things. And the same candidate is on record for advocating restoration of Obamacare mandate, of the Obamacare mandate, which would require ministries and religious services like the Little Sisters of the Poor to provide contraception and abortifacients to their employees, despite the fact that that is a direct violation of their faith conviction and of church teaching. So, in other words, the politicians that we elect on Tuesday, or who get elected on Tuesday, they're either going to be promoting the persecution or they are going to be diminishing it. And all of us have an invested interest as to what happens or what is revealed on Tuesday. Pope Francis says that sometimes we hear a good Catholic is not interested in politics. This is not true. Good Catholics immerse themselves in politics so that the leaders can govern in accord with Catholic principles." Close quote. And it's just the same thing that the Second Vatican Council said. The Second Vatican Council actually said it was, the church's, it was part of the church's mission to pass moral judgments in matters related to politics whenever the fundamental rights of man or the salvation of souls requires it. So notice here, actually, this is interesting. Whenever the salvation of souls requires commentary on political movements, that's to say, what politicians do in Washington or state legislators could easily influence the salvation of somebody's soul. Because like we said earlier, some people crack under persecution. Sixty years ago, Fulton Sheen wrote, a nation always gets the kind of politicians it deserves. If the time ever comes when religious Jews, Protestants, and Catholics have to suffer under a totalitarian state which would deny them the right to worship God according to the light of their conscience, it will be because for years they thought it made no difference what kind of person represented them. And because they abandoned the spiritual in the realm of the temporal.
That is to say, they didn't allow the spiritual faith they professed to influence the way they behaved in the temporal realm. So, it, it, we have to clarify that no political party, no political candidate perfectly aligns with the church's teaching on every issue. And moreover, there are certain issues that are subject to prudential human judgment. So Catholics can legitimately disagree, for example, on the best way to address issues such as racial injustice, the economy, global warming, immigration, health care. There's room for disagreement in those issues. You're not excluding yourself from the church if you uh, have a position that some other Catholic does not have. On the other hand, some issues can never be promoted or enabled by faithful Catholics. The USCCB, the United States Catholic Conference of Bishops, in their document, Forming Consciences for Faithful Citizenships, it reads that, it says, not all issues are equal. Some involve intrinsically evil acts which can never be approved. And more specifically, the bishops of this country, along with the magisterium of the Catholic Church, have identified amongst the intrinsic evils that can never be approved, Abortion, euthanasia, embryonic stem cell research, same-sex marriage. These are intrinsic evils. And they say, the bishops say, laws that legitimize any of these practices are profoundly unjust and immoral. So the respective position of the candidates we elect, we have to take those into account when we vote. We can't just vote for somebody because of a personality issue. The Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith says that a well-formed Christian conscience does not permit one to vote for a political program or individual law which contradicts the fundamental contents of, more, of faith and morals. Fundamental content, intrinsic evils. Hence, no Catholic in good conscience can support any politician who promotes all these issues especially if there is another candidate who does not support all or some of these issues. The elections that we got on Tuesday, they're going to have incredible ramifications for our country. So the bottom line is vote, if you haven't done so already. And vote in keeping with the teaching of the church. Vote within the church. And while we do this, let's remember... No politician is going to save America. It's got one Messiah. His name is Jesus Christ. God is the one in whom we place our hope. That's not a statement of despair. It's not to say, okay, everything else has failed. Now we're going to trust in God. It's an exhortation to hope. As Christians, we do not despair because despair is a sin. You and I are called to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. And as faithful Catholics, we should be engaged in that battle for the soul of our nation. And the best thing we can do for our nation, along with voting, is to become those saints like the men and women we are celebrating today. A society made entirely up of saints. You know what that's called? That's called heaven. The more saintly we become, the more we live out the Beatitudes we heard in today's gospel, the more our society will become like heaven on earth. So let us ask the Blessed Virgin Mary, the Queen of all saints, the Queen of heaven and earth, to pray for us, that we might be able 
to answer that call to holiness that we have all received for our own salvation and for the good of our nation.